Let me begin this morning by asking you a very simple question. What is keeping you awake at night? What is keeping you up at night? There's a very good possibility that you have an answer to that question right now. I'm sure that you've noticed people are fairly anxious right now. You might be anxious right now. There may be some things that are weighing upon you every single day. You might be burdened by concerns and problems. You may be having a difficult time focusing right now because of all the things that are swirling around in your mind. You're thinking about those issues at work that you tried to leave there on Friday and they are waiting for you tomorrow. And so all through the weekend, they've kind of been at the back of your mind, even though you've been trying to put them out of your mind. You may be concerned about something facing you at school this week. You may have to step into some really difficult meetings this week, some make or break opportunities. You're waiting for those test results to come back from that blood test or maybe that biopsy. You're concerned about a family member, a loved one who's going through some sort of challenging thing. Maybe they are in the midst of an illness. And of course, we have all the swirling things happening with COVID and with government restrictions and all kinds of crazy sorts of things. Decisions you got to make about mandates, all this sort of stuff. People are hyper anxious right now. After 19 months of ups and downs, shutdowns and startups, fits and starts and delays and pauses, orders and mandates and recommendations, anxiety for a lot of people is at an all-time high. And we find ourselves in this weird sort of in-between moment where we feel like things might be moving in a positive direction, but we're always waiting for the next uh, shoe to drop, as they say. But Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, he said, therefore, I say to you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about your life. He says what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, nor about your body, what you're going to put on. For is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? For he goes on to say in verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all of these things, the Gentiles seek. After all these things, people who don't know God, they seek after those things. Unbelievers seek after what they're going to eat, what they're going to wear, what they're going to drink. Those are the things that weigh upon them, the daily concerns of life. He says, but you, your heavenly Father knows the things that you have need of. So don't be anxious. Don't worry. That's the word of Jesus. And it's not just the word of Jesus. That's the word of the Apostle Paul as well. In his letter to the Philippians, in Philippians chapter 4, he says, be anxious for nothing. And I don't know about you, but I would like to live a life that follows those orders, that follows the command of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry, that follows the command of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 4, be anxious for nothing. I would love to live the life where I follow those orders. I would like to live without worry and concern, without fear, without dread, without anxiety. And I want to encourage you this morning. I believe that God never commands what he does not also enable. Let me say that again. That's a really, really important point. God never commands what he does not also 
enable. And that's one of the things that we have been talking about over the last several weeks in this series that we are calling the Disciplines of a Disciple. We're talking about the equipment and the help that God has given to you and to me to make it more likely that we would succeed in working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. You see, God saved you and he called you unto a new life in Christ Jesus. If you are a Christian today, you need to understand that God rescued you, Jesus saved you, and he called you to a new life in Jesus. And God desires that you would grow and that you would be transformed more and more into the very thing that he called you to be. He wants you to be conformed more and more, transformed into the likeness of his kids. Paul the Apostle wrote it this way in his letter to the church at Rome. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29, he says, For whom he foreknew, he, Jesus, also predestined. He knew you before the creation of the earth, before the foundations of the earth, he knew you. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. He predetermined that you would be conformed to the image of his son, of his sons or daughters, that he might transform you. That is God's determined plan for you. He has determined to make you more like his son, Jesus. God is working in you and he's working in me and he's working in us to desire and to do those things that are pleasing to him, those things that are right and good before him. And he is determined to make you more like Jesus. And we can be confident of this very thing that he, God, who began a good work in you, he's going to be faithful to complete it until the day that you stand before him in eternity, until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, God is doing this work. He's working in you. He's working in me to will and to do his good pleasure. We can be confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. But I believe that we have a part to play in this work. We have a responsibility, if you will, in this work. And I've already kind of alluded to my favorite passage in the scripture that talks about this. There in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, we read that it is God who works in you to will and to do his good pleasure. But just before that, right before Paul tells the church at Philippi that God is working in them, giving them new desires and the ability to do those things that are pleasing and right and good before God, he says this in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. God's working in you, but you need to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So quite literally, if you are a Christian today, then you are kind of in training camp. We could call it cross training here at Cross Connection Church. You're in training camp. And this whole period of time between the point that Jesus justified you when you believed in Jesus Christ, immediately at that moment, you are justified. Your sin, the punishment for your sin, the penalty for your sin, it is dealt with. Jesus justified you and he clothed you in his own righteousness. And so at that moment, you are justified. And because of the work that Jesus did on your behalf, on my behalf on the cross, when he said it is finished and your faith, your trust in him, now you're justified. As a result of believing in him and being justified, you have the promise that he's going to glorify you. When you come into his presence at the end of this life, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, says 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 
This corruption will put on incorruption. This mortality will put on immortality. The same power that worked in Jesus to raise him from the dead, Philippians chapter 3 says, is going to transform your lowly body that it will be conformed into his glorious body. So you've been justified by trusting in Jesus. You will be glorified when you step into his presence. When we see him, we shall be like him is what the scripture says. But we're in the gap. We're in this period of time, the gap between justified and glorified. And here in this gap, this is the time of sanctification. This is the time of transformation in which God is desiring to work in you and work in me to bring about the effects of salvation in our lives, to bring about the fruit of salvation in our lives. So he is working in us to will and to do his good pleasure, but he has a work for you and I to do as well as we work out our own salvation. Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 and 13, I, I come back to them so often here at Cross Connection Church and I would hope that you might even consider committing those things to memory. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is working in you to will and to do his good pleasure. So the Lord is working in us and the Lord in this work of working out our salvation, he has not left us without help in this salvation workout time. He has given us the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is our helper. The Holy Spirit guides us in all truth and he works in us and alongside us, calling us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the carnal desires or lusts, the Bible calls them, of our flesh. Paul talks about this in his letter to the Galatians. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17, he says, I say then, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. For the flesh, it lusts or wars against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. And these two are contrary, the one with the other, so that you do not do the things that you wish. You don't do the good things that you want to do. And not only is the Holy Spirit working with us and in us to call us to walk in the Spirit so that we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh, but the Holy Spirit also is working in us with His power to enable and empower us to walk in a way that is pleasing to God. It is God who works in you to will and to do His good pleasure. He is the one that is empowering us. Jesus said this, some of the last words he gave to his disciples before he ascended into heaven, right as he's commissioning them to go into all the world and to do his ministry work in the world to make disciples. He says, you shall receive power, empowering, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. That's in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And as the Holy Spirit works with us and in us, empowering us, he begins to bring about growth, growth unto maturity in our lives. And we begin to see the manifestation, the outworking of the Holy Spirit's power and of his influence in our lives. And the way we see the Holy Spirit's power being worked out in us, the manifestation of it is what we call, or actually what the Apostle Paul called the fruit of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, he says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God wants to work in you. I, I believe there are other fruits of the Spirit, but these are nine fruits of the Spirit listed there. Some people argue over whether or not it is the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, and all these are the outflow of love. That's fine. You can, you can hold this however you want to. The manifestation that God is at work in His people are these sorts of things. And there may be others that you could add to this as well. But some of them are things like love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And these are the evidences to me. These are the evidences to the people around me that God is at work in me. And we want to see these things. And I, and I started today with that question. I want to come back to that very, very simple question that I began with. What is keeping you up at night? And I start with that because I have a lot of conversations with people. And in my conversations with people who go to church and people who don't go to church, I know that the last 19 months has caused a lot of anxieties and fears and concerns and dreads and stress and nervousness to come to the surface. I have some friends who are marriage and family therapists, who are professional counselors, and they have told me that this period of time has caused anxiety to rise and people are stressed and you might be in that place. And so I bring up that question today, what is keeping you up at night? Because you probably have an answer to that question. You probably have a thing or maybe 20 things that are causing you sleeplessness, are causing you restlessness and anxiety. If I'm honest with you, I will tell you, I've had some, some nights that it's been hard to get to sleep because I got a lot of things running around in my mind. Things as I'm thinking about the state of our, our church, as I'm thinking about all the things that are coming against our families, as I'm thinking about all the craziness that's happening in the, the economy or in our political process or just in the world, as I look at all these things that are going on, there have been some nights where it's hard for me to fall asleep because I just can't turn my brain off. And so I'm sure that some of you are experiencing the same thing. And I bring up that question because Jesus said, do not worry. And Paul said, be anxious for nothing. And the scriptures record that the fruit of the Spirit is peace. The fruit of the Spirit is peace, rest, self-control, being able to set those things aside. So we have the command of Christ, do not worry. We have the command of the scriptures, be anxious for nothing. We have the fruit of the Spirit, peace and self-control. And as a Christian, as a disciple, as a follower of Jesus, I should be at rest. I should have a life that is increasingly characterized by peace. People should be able to see it in me, the fruit of the Spirit. So how do I work this aspect of salvation out in my life? How do I make it a reality that there is the increasing evidence in me that I'm at peace, that I'm at rest? I'm reminded of that story in the Gospels, and maybe you've read through the Gospels before, where Jesus tells his disciples, hey, let's get in the boat. We're going to go across the Sea of Galilee. And he's asleep on the boat. And in the midst of this, his sleep, they are in the midst of a great storm. And his disciples are at the point where they are fearful that they are going to die. And they come and they wake him up. And they say to him, don't you even care that we are about to die? He was at rest in the storm. And I think that that's a really important illustration. That very simple picture, Jesus is at rest in the midst of the storm, is a very simple reminder to me that even in the midst of trials and tribulations and difficulties, which we are promised we're going to encounter in this world. Jesus said in John chapter, 16, John chapter 16, in the world you will have tribulation. That's a given. It's absolutely certain that in a world that is broken and fallen and affected by sin, you will have trials, tribulation, troubles, difficulty. But he says, be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. In me you might have peace. And so we want to have that. So how do I work this aspect of salvation into my life where I begin to experience rest and peace and the fruit of the Spirit? How do I make that a reality? Well, we have the help of the Holy Spirit, His empowering and His 
encouragement. That's what we have talked about in this series as we are wanting to discipline ourselves in this discipleship process. So we, we are promised that we have the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will not leave you helpless. I will give you a helper, the Holy Spirit, who comes and empowers us and encourages us to walk in the Spirit. But what else do I have? Well, as I was thinking about this question, what else do I have this week? I was reminded of the words of the Apostle Peter. In the New Testament book of 2 Peter, his second and last letter, Peter opens his second and last letter with these words in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2. He says, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Let me just stop there for a moment. Peter's encouragement or his prayer or his blessing to the people that he was writing to here in this passage, he says, my prayer for you is that you'd have grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, how many of you watching this today would like to have peace be multiplied in your life? So we should, key, we should key into what's going on in this passage, what the Holy Spirit is speaking through Peter here in this passage. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus. As his divine power, Jesus' divine power has given to us, note this, God in Christ Jesus, according to his divine power, has given to you and to me all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called you by glory and virtue. Listen, if you're taking notes today, this is a key thing you might want to key in on here. God has given us all we need to live this life in a godly manner. According to his divine power, he has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God has given to us all the things that we need to live this life in a godly manner. And in the last few weeks of this series, the disciplines of a disciple, what I'm keying in on or zeroing in on is the equipment, the things. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. We're keying in on the equipment that God has given us, the tools, so that we can work out our salvation of fear and trembling. Knowing that God has justified us, he will glorify us, but in this transformation, sanctification period, this gap between being justified and, being and glorified, being in his presence, how do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? God has given us some tools. Now, we're only looking at three of them. We're only going to zero in on those. There are others, and maybe in the future we'll talk about some of those uh, in the future. But if you were with us in the message last time, we talked about the first tool that God has given to us in the previous message. And the first tool that God has given to us is his word, the scriptures. This is the first tool that God has given to you. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the first tool that God has given to you for this transformation sanctification process. So the word of God. And so today we are moving to talk about the second tool that God has given to us. And to lead us into the discussion about what this second tool is, I asked that question, what is keeping you up at night? And the reason I asked you that question is that if there is something weighing on you, if you are worried and anxious or stressed and you are fretting, it is an indication that you need to employ this tool. Now, I would say you need to employ the first tool, the Word of God. You need to be getting into God's Word as well. But if you right now find yourself in a place where you're lacking peace, or maybe it's one of the other fruits of the Spirit. Maybe you're lacking love. Maybe you're lacking joy. Maybe you are lacking self-control, or you are lacking faithfulness or gentleness. All of these are indicators. They are a barometer, if you will, to indicate that there's something that's out of whack in your life. And one of them is peace. 
And so if you're lacking peace, if you are stressed and anxious and fretting, then it is an indication that you need to employ this tool that we're going to talk about and to really dig into it and to see the connection between this lack of peace and this tool. Open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Philippians, Philippians chapter 4. For those of you who don't know it, if you haven't been around for very long, Philippians is my favorite book in the Bible, and I find myself going back to this passage frequently. And these verses that we're going to begin with today, or <laughs> we're already, already several minutes into our message, but these, these verses that we're going to zero in on for a moment here today, these are among my favorites, and I know a lot of people would say the same thing. Philippians chapter 4, look with me if you would, beginning at verse 4. Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness or your way of life be known to all people. Let everybody see the way that you live. The Lord is at hand. Then this, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, put a star next to it in your Bible, underline, highlight, whatever you need to do, exclamation point right next to it, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing. Let me say it again. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer, circle the word prayer, underline it, put a star over the top of it, whatever you got to do, highlight that word prayer. Be anxious for nothing. It is a command. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And, key transition here, and the result, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Listen, these words from Paul, they are inspired by God. We talked about this last week if you were with us. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and it is useful for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness so that the man or woman of God would be thoroughly equipped, ready for every good work. So what is the good work that God wants you to walk in? As a follower of Jesus, as a Christian, he wants you to walk in peace, to be at rest, even in the midst of the storm. And if you are not at peace and you do not have rest right now, it's an indication that you're being corrected Remember, the word of God is doctrine, inspired by God. Be anxious for nothing. So the walk along with Jesus in the spirit is a life that is characterized by peace and rest. You're not anxious, but you probably are anxious. So your life is out of alignment with God's perfect true standard. Remember the plumb bob last week if you're with us. So it exposes that I am not where I ought to be, but it has the ability to correct it. How does the word of God correct it? Well, he tells us what we are to do. Be anxious for nothing, that's doctrine. And everything by prayer. How do I do it? Well, here's the correction. I need to pray. Pray. This is God's inspired word to you, to me. This is an important tool for us as we grow in Christ-likeness. And this important tool, the word of God is an important tool, but this is an equally important tool. Prayer is an equally important tool that we would not be Afraid, anxious, stressed, nervous. Be anxious for nothing. That is a command. And it is a command that I fail to obey frequently. And maybe you do as well, because I find myself spinning up with anxiety and stress and all those sorts of things. So what's kind of ironic or maybe even funny is that we Americans living at this moment in history, we have about the least reason for anxiety and fear that anyone has ever had living throughout human history, but we still find things to freak out about. We make sport out of anxiety. We, we like look for things. As Pastor Mark would say, we mortgage anxiety. We're like buying it. But I know that 
anxiety is not good for me. And I know that you know that anxiety is not good for me. Anxiety is linked to things like headaches. It's linked to stomach aches and GI problems. It is linked to breathing problems. It's linked to having a pounding heart. It's linked to panic attacks and muscle and joint aches and pains and fatigue, increased blood pressure. All of these things have been shown in research, scientific research, that they are connected to stress and anxiety. So the scriptures were absolutely right when they said, do not fret, it only causes harm. That's in Psalm 37 verse eight. Anxiety is not good for you. It is not God's ideal. And God, the one who created you, he knows that it's not good for you. And so he commands you and he commands me, do not worry, be anxious for nothing. Understanding that this anxiety is not good for you is one thing, but knowing how to get out of anxiety is an entirely different thing. So I'm bringing all of this up to highlight just how much you and I need this essential tool for our sanctification workout routine. The scriptures say work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. One of the signs that you are working out salvation with fear and trembling is that you are obeying this command, be anxious for nothing. So I want to walk in line with this command. I don't want the headaches, the stomach aches, the breathing problems, the pounding heart, the panic attacks, the muscle and joint pains, the fatigue, the high blood pressure. I don't want those things in my life. I want to have the peace of God. So how do I have the peace of God? So last week I shared with you that the word of God is an essential tool in our sanctification. And this week I want you to recognize that prayer is an essential tool in our sanctification. Look at Philippians chapter four, verses six and seven again. Be anxious for nothing. That's a command that we fail to obey. How do I do that? Remember I said a little bit ago that God never commands what he does not also enable. So if he's commanding, be anxious for nothing, and Jesus commanded in Matthew chapter six, do not worry, what is the enabling ability for me to fulfill this command? But in everything by prayer. I had you circle that word prayer. In everything by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The command is clear. Do not worry. Do not be anxious for anything. And the process or the pathway to begin to experience this peace, it is clear as well. It is evident in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the result what is the expected outcome when we follow what the scriptures say, when we pray and when we bring our supplication and thanksgiving and our request to God, what is the outcome? The peace of God, perfect peace. Um, Isaiah 26 verse three says, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him because he trusts in them. So God's perfect peace will guard your heart and your mind. Your, your entire inner being, what, what we would probably refer to as the soul, it will guard your soul through Christ Jesus, God's peace will be a guard over you. This is going to seem like an oversimplification, but I'm convinced that it is not. Last week, I gave you an oversimplification. The oversimplification I gave you last week is that your spiritual health is proportionally related to your intake of God's word. So, got a little graph here. As you increase God's word, your spiritual health will increase as well. So there is a proportional relationship between your intake of God's word into your life daily and your spiritual growth. So here's another, another graph or another oversimplification for you for this week. Your anxiety and worry are inversely related to how much you pray. 
The less you pray, the more anxious you will be. The more you pray, the less anxious you will be. It is as simple as that. And I know that it seems like an oversimplification. I promise you it is not. And I would have to just say to you, have you tried this? This is what God's inspired word says. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus, your whole internal psyche, your soul. This isn't only true for anxiety and worry, but anxiety and worry are, are good barometers for us, for this. So the more you pray, the less anxious you will be. And the more you take in God's word and the more you pray, uh, the more joyful you will be. Each one of these different things, as I already mentioned, the fruit of the Spirit, they're all indicators of, of where we are in our, uh, our, our place with the Spirit of God. If I don't have joy, if I don't have peace, if I'm not self-controlled, if I don't have gentleness, these things indicate to me that there's something out of order. And I need to go back to the scriptures and figure out how do I address this. And for anxiety and worry, the issue is prayer. Prayerlessness. If you're not praying, you're going to be anxious. I promise you. So the peace of God is an outcome, a byproduct, a benefit of prayer. But what are, some, what are some other benefits of prayer? As you begin to look at this very simple thing, what are some benefits? Well, I started thinking about this last week and I, I wrote down a number of different things. Uh, what are some of the benefits of prayer? First, prayer helps you to develop a closer walk and relationship with God. Prayer helps us to grow in our understanding of God and how he works. Prayer provides answers to our questions and solutions to our problems. Prayer invites God's provision of the things that we have need of, even the things that we desire. Prayer helps us to find wisdom and direction from God. Prayer provides strength against temptation. Prayer helps us to align our will with God's will. Prayer invites God's power. Prayer can bring healing and miracles. Prayer can help us be refined and become more Christ-like. These are all some of the benefits, and I could probably go on and on with this. I could come up with a whole bunch of other things from the scriptures that we see about prayer, but I think that this drives home the point. And there's actually a quote, and I'm not entirely sure who it was who said this, but I read it years ago. It was probably um, one of two men of God, E.M. Bounds or D.L. Moody, but, but here's the quote, and this kind of sums this whole thing about prayer. Where prayer is focused, power falls. You can be certain of that that when you begin to focus your attention with prayer, you will begin to see God's power at work in your life. So these are the things that we find about prayer when we begin to study the scriptures. But in setting this as kind of a theological basis for this thing called prayer, it, it brings up some questions. I have questions, as people would say. So some of the questions that come to mind. What is prayer? Why does prayer work? What kinds of prayer are there? How do I do this thing called prayer? And when should I pray? So as I begin to wrap this message up today, I want to talk about those questions there. What is prayer? Why does it work? What kinds of prayer are there? How do I pray? And when should I pray? So first, what is prayer? This is a really simple one. I, we don't have to go real in-depth with this one. Simply put, prayer is talking to God. And People have been engaged in prayer for as long as we can see back into human history. People have been a praying people for a very long time. 
when we pray, we talk to God. And not only do we talk to God, but we trust that he hears us. So that leads to the second question. Why does prayer work? I would say that prayer works because God exists. And not only does God exist, but he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The author of the book of Hebrews said it very cleanly like this. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe that he is. Why does prayer work? Because God exists. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. So why does prayer work? Because God exists and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. If you ask, seek, and knock, it will be given to you because God is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The Apostle John wrote this in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in God, in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So why does prayer work? Because God hears our prayers. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. So what is prayer? Simply put, it is talking to God. Why does prayer work? Because God exists and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Third question, what kinds of prayer are there? What kinds of prayer are there? Well, generally, the word prayer is the general term for this action of talking to God. But there are different kinds of prayer. And Paul kind of alludes to those in that passage in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. He says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all, for the Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer. There's the general term. And supplication, that's another kind of term or prayer. We'll get to that in a second. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he, he gives the general word, prayer, but then he talks about some specifics. So the general word is prayer. That's talking to God. But what kind of prayers are there? Well, secondly, he says supplication. What is supplication? Well, supplication is a word we don't use so much today. But simply put, it's asking for God's provision and for his supply. You see, supply is kind of like a word. It's a part of the word supplication. So when you bring your needs to God, when you bring your desires to God and you pray to him, just like your kids bring their wants, wishes, desires to you. When you bring your prayers to God and you ask for something, you're saying, Lord, I need this, I want this, whatever it may be, you are engaged in supplication. So that falls under the broad category, prayer. Underneath that, you have supplication. The next one after supplication is thanksgiving. He says, in everything by prayer with supplication and thanksgiving. What is thanksgiving? Thanksgiving is expressing your gratitude and thanks to God. So listen, if you bring your needs to God, supplication, say, God, I need... I need the provision, the money for this next semester of school. I need the provision for this unexpected bill that I wasn't planning on. If God answers your prayer and he provides what you need, what should you do? Thanksgiving. You should go to God and thank him for what he has done. I think this is one of the, one of the areas of prayer that we sometimes forget to go to God with. That God answers our prayers and we forget to bring him thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is simply expressing your gratitude and thanks to God. And that leads right into another kind of prayer. And this is another thing you ought to do. If God provides for your needs or he answers your prayer, you give him thanks. But also the third kind of prayer that I would put in there is praise. Or you could call it adoration. Praise and adoration. That's giving glory to God, worshiping him. So I come to God with my general prayers. Sometimes those prayers are supplication. 
God, I need you to provide for this bill I didn't expect. I need you to help this person over there, whatever it is. I want you to provide something. So I'm bringing my wants, desires, needs to God. Then when he provides, I'm giving thanks to God. I'm adoring him. I'm praising him. And then that leads into another kind of praise. So we have supplication, thanksgiving, adoration, and praise. Next one is intercession. What is intercession? Well, it's just simply a big word that means praying for other people or praying on behalf of other people. Every single week we get our prayer cards. A lot of people turn in the prayer cards and you can go on our website uh, to the web address link down below here and you can send us your prayer request. And one of the things that you can be certain of is that if you send us your prayer request, we have people who will intercede. They will be engaged in intercession, praying for you or on behalf of you, praying for healing, praying for a job opening, praying for you to get through this next semester of school, whatever it is, get through midterms. So intercession is praying for other people. So we have supplication, thanksgiving, adoration and praise, intercession, confession. What is confession? It's a form of prayer where you acknowledge your failures, your sin before God. So maybe you, you come before God and you say, you know, Lord, I've been not following that command that says be anxious for nothing. I've been stressed. I've been upset. I've been impatient with people. And so you come to God and you pray. I confess that my impatience with my spouse, that was sin. That was wrong. It was outside of your will and desire for my life. So confession is acknowledging your wrongdoing, your sin before God. And that leads to another kind of prayer. After confession might be repentance. What is repentance? It's turning away from your sin and asking for God's forgiveness. So you say, Lord, would you forgive me of my sin of being impatient? Would you enable me to walk in the spirit and to be patient with other people? So these are just some of the forms of prayer. You could probably come up with more. In fact, if you went in on Google and say, what kinds of prayer are they? There, you're going to find pages that are going to be like, here's seven kinds of prayer and nine kinds of prayer and six kinds of prayer. But we have supplication, thanksgiving, adoration and praise, intercession, confession, repentance, all kinds of different ways that we pray. So that brings us to the next question. How do I pray? What do I do? Well, I would say that that is the right and proper question for a disciple. God, how do I pray? This is exactly what some of Jesus' disciples did in the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 11, verse 1, it says, There, now it came to pass, as Jesus was praying in a certain place, when he stopped, when he was done praying, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray in the same way that John, John the Baptist, taught his disciples. Lord, teach us to pray. Jesus desires that we pray, and he teaches us how to do it. This is really important. It's God's desire that you would pray, that you talk to him in prayer, and he's going to teach you how to do it. So one of Jesus' disciples came to him in Luke chapter 11. Jesus had been praying. That was his model. That was the way that Jesus left an example for his disciples. So they came to him and said, Lord, you're done praying. Teach us to pray in the same way John taught his disciples. And so Jesus said this, Luke chapter 11, verse 2. So he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, this is possibly a familiar prayer to you, especially if you grew up going to a more traditional church, maybe a Catholic church or an Episcopalian church and maybe some Presbyterian churches. You may have found that in the church that you grew up in, 
they would pray this prayer on a regular basis. Uh, sometimes it's referred to as the Our Father because it begins with Our Father who is in heaven. Uh, sometimes we call it the Lord's Prayer. That's kind of the traditional title for this prayer, the Lord's Prayer. And I would say that this is a model prayer and also a model for how we ought to pray. What do I mean by that? Well, it is a model prayer and a prayer that you can and maybe you should pray. I know sometimes people, especially Protestant Christians, kind of get weirded out by that because they think that if I just pray this prayer on a regular basis, then I'm engaged in uh, what is called vain and redundant prayer. I don't, I don't think that that's really what is meant by not getting involved in vain and repetitious prayer as Jesus talks about in the Sermon on the Mount. So yes, I do think that this is a model, a model prayer, a prayer that you can and maybe you should pray from time to time to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and so forth. It's okay to pray this prayer. But I would also say it is a model for prayer. In that, this approaches God in reverence and adoration. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So Jesus is teaching his disciples to come before God in reverence and adoration, with praise and adoration. It aligns our will with God's will. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's one of the things that the prayer models for us. It asks God for his provision. Give us this day our daily bread. Notice Jesus saying, give us today our daily bread. What, what's implied by that? That you should be coming before God asking for his provision, for his supply regularly, like every single day. So it's asking for God's provision and supply. It is seeking for God's forgiveness. Forgiveness. Forgive us our sins. It is also seeking for God's empowering for us to forgive other people. Have you ever had a hard time forgiving other people? Maybe you should pray, God, would you help me to forgive others who are indebted to me or who've wronged me? This asks for God's empowering and deliverance from temptation and evil. Are you finding yourself on a regular basis falling into temptation, being ensnared by temptations of your flesh or the world or the enemy? Maybe you should pray, God, deliver me from temptation, deliver me from evil. So this is a model prayer, maybe a prayer that you can and should pray from time to time. Pray this Lord's Prayer. But it is a model for prayer because it teaches us to come to God in reverence, praise, adoration. It teaches us to ask for forgiveness. It teaches us to ask for God's empowering against sin, to ask for God's empowering to forgive. It teaches us to ask for God's provision. So these are all important things that we should incorporate into our regular prayer. So how do we pray? Well, consider this model or consider just this prayer. In some respects, the Lord's Prayer, which is Again, what this prayer is called, and we find it here in Luke chapter 11 and also in Matthew chapter 6, this prayer somewhat follows a, another simple model for prayer that sometimes is referred to as the Acts model for prayer. So remember, the question is, how do I pray? Well, one way is to pray this prayer or to pray a prayer like this prayer in Luke chapter 11 or Matthew chapter 6. Another way is to take the model, which is kind of what this prayer is saying, this Acts model of prayer. So what is the Acts model of prayer? So the Acts model of prayer is A-C-T-S, an acronym, A-C-T-S. Adoration is the A, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. So when you pray, when you come before God, maybe start with adoration and praise. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You're so good, you're awesome, you're glorious, you're majestic, you're adoring God, you're praising, you're worshiping him in prayer. Confession, Lord, 
I was impatient with that person just a few minutes ago, that coworker who came to my cubicle and I was upset and I was in the midst of something and they distracted me and I lost my cool and I didn't have self-control and so I confess to you that I've been impatient. Thanksgiving, Lord, I thank you for your grace and your mercy. I thank you for your forgiveness. I thank you for how good you are. Supplication, I pray that you would help me to be gracious. You'd help me to be forgiving. You'd help me to be kind. Give me your patience. Give me your self-control with that person. This does not have to be a five hour long thing. You can employ the ACTS model of prayer anytime, anywhere, which leads to my final question. When should I pray? Well, that's kind of a, a tough question because the Bible doesn't just give some explicit standard for when you should pray. But we have examples. We have the example of Jesus. Jesus prayed regularly. He prayed at night. He prayed in the morning. He prayed in the afternoon, prayed throughout the day. Daniel the prophet, in the Old Testament. He prayed three times a day of direct, specific prayer. Many Christians traditionally pray before they eat a meal. It's a good tradition. It's not a bad thing. The psalmist exemplified a routine of prayer. O Lord, in the morning will I direct my prayer. I believe it's Psalm 5 that talks about. But the psalmist also talks about in the night season, as I lay down upon my bed, he's praying to God. So the psalmist exemplified a routine of praying in the morning. He exemplified a routine of praying at night. Paul the Apostle called us to be praying always. He told the church at Philippi in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3, that I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So every single time the people of Philippi came to his mind, he offered a prayer. So he was praying without ceasing. He was praying continually. So when should we pray? How about any time? How about all the time? How about every time you have an issue, a problem, a need, a want? Prayer should be a regular and consistent part of your life as a believer. Why? Because where prayer is focused, power falls. And your experience of peace and rest increases as you pray. Your experience of anxiety and stress, it increases the less you pray. And so with that, maybe we should just stop here and pray. So would you pray with me? Dear God, thank you that you have given us a tool to help us to gain perspective, to help us to bring our will into alignment with your will, to help us to spend time with you, to have fellowship and commune with you, to grow in our relationship with you through simply talking. And because you are omniscient and because you are omnipresent, we can trust that you hear us. And because you are omnibenevolent, you love to bless and give. And because you are omnipotent, you are all powerful. You have the ability to answer our prayers and desire to answer our prayers. So Lord, hear our prayer. God, I want to pray specifically right now for those who are either listening to this message or those who are connected with our church who are wrestling with anxiety and fear, with doubt. Lord, those who are in a difficult situation right now financially or those who are having a hard time finding the right job or those who don't have the enough time to get their job done, whatever it is, they find themselves anxious and stressed and without rest and sleepless. I pray, God, that you would guard their hearts and their minds in you, Jesus, that you would give them your peace that surpasses understanding and that you would give them a desire to spend time with you daily and throughout the day. And as they're getting ready to go to bed at night, spend time with you in prayer, simply talking to you, confessing their fears, confessing their uncertainties. Your word says, cast 
Your care is upon me, for I care for you. So you want us to roll those things off to you. Jesus, you said that um, your yoke is easy and your burden is light and that you give us rest. So I pray for those who are going through those challenging situations right now where they just don't have rest. Would you give them your peace that surpasses understanding? But Lord, draw us into a place where we begin to engage in adoration and confession and thanksgiving and supplication. And maybe we pray that Lord's prayer that you gave to us as you taught your disciples to pray 2000 years ago. Teach us your disciples to pray now and help us to be diligent in prayer. God, pour out your spirit upon your church. We thank you for your word, which is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword that is able to bring about sanctification, transformation in our lives. And we thank you for this tool of prayer that is a direct connection to the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the creator of all things. God, I pray that you'd help us to not take for granted the tool that you've given to us, the treasure that you've given to us in prayer. For we ask this in Jesus' name and all those that agreed said, Amen.